Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week we're talking inclusive leadership with Sean Brown, Programmes Director and Mohammed Abdullah, Head of the Difference Inclusive Leadership Course. So what we're going to be really thinking about is how leaders, particularly those who've been on the inclusive leadership course with the difference, can bring this approach into their school so that every child and every member of staff can work in a way that supports everyone working and learning together. So some really interesting um, um, and insightful comments from Sean and Mohammed, and I hope you find the podcast interesting and useful. As ever, it's an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth information about the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Sean Brown, who is Programmes Director at The Difference, and Mohammed Abdullah, who is Head of The Difference Inclusive Leadership Course. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hi there. Thank you for joining us. We are going to talk um, about The Difference as a whole. We're going to focus in on the Inclusive Leadership Course as well. But before we get into that, can we kick off with you both telling the listeners a little bit about yourselves and your background? Sean, can we start with you? Yeah, thanks. Hi, Caroline. Um, So I uh, was a mainstream uh, secondary teacher um, uh, and middle leader for 10 years um, in London schools. Um, And I then left that behind um, and went to work um, in Tower Hamlet's pupil referral unit. Um, And I worked there for 10 years and spent the second half of that as uh, the head of inclusion across the pupil referral unit, across quite a lot of different um, uh, parts of it. And um, I was very, very lucky to have a lot of interaction with and lots of specialists who were working with students in the pupil referral unit. And I got really interested in how to start translating some of that specialist expertise um, essentially into um, the practice of all the staff in the PRU to kind of to, to give that access to all students. And then um, I left the people referral unit behind and I made a decision to go back into mainstream but as a senior leader. And I um, had an amazing five years at Thomas Teller School in Greenwich, where I, I think probably the primary thing that um, sort of formulated in that time was just how relevant the expertise that I brought from the pupil referral unit was to every student in the in the school and that has gone on to be um, I think both of those things that idea of bringing specialist practice to all staff and its relevance to every student in the school are two things that um, yeah hopefully during the session today we'll see um, that kind of relevance and how they've run through some of the program um, development and the difference. Mohammed. Thanks, Sean. And hi, Caroline. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm Mohammed. Um, I, I started my career actually in uh, youth work um, and, um, yeah, working with, with young offenders. Um, and there was a real desire, especially uh, the young offenders that I worked with, to uh, work in pupil referral units that they were a part of um, to, 
I guess do some more consistent work with them um, in, a, in a space that I felt that they were really struggling in and felt quite challenging. So I started, I guess, my, my kind of educational career in a pupil referral unit in uh, Hammersmith and Fulham um, and spent a couple of years there uh, working with some of the most vulnerable young people in, in that local authority. Um, still with a desire to really want, want to kind of make a, a change, uh, have an impact. I, you know, I could see that many of these young people who, um, and children who were in the pupil referral unit um, presented with behaviours um, and concerns and reasons for, for their referral to the pupil referral unit um, were uh, perhaps things that could have been picked up kind of early on um, through, through some kind of changes in systems and, and practice. And uh, I went into mainstream in Lambeth um, with, a, uh, with a desire to, to kind of make that impact in a mainstream setting and, and prevent exclusions um, in, in, in the school that I was in. Um, and kind of similarly to, to Sean, that I kind of took that learning, uh, from kind of multidisciplinary work, uh, working closely with the community uh, and, and kind of shaped a framework around kind of working much more closely with uh, multi-agencies and uh, local communities and, and uh, uh, people that lived in that community to improve the outcomes of students uh, in our school, uh, most notably kind of reducing exclusions um, and improving kind of the practice and staff uh, in that school. And, and did that for, um, I was at one school for 14 and a half years um, and spent roughly around 10 years as a, as a leader in that school. Um, and uh, as, as Sean has said, that some of that learning um, and, and the impact um, feeds into uh, the course. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, you, you, you both have so much um, experience on, 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 the, on the both sides, the, um, you know, alternative provision and and mainstream. And neither of you look old enough to have been um, working for as for as long as you have. Um, I can confirm to the listener. And, and, and it seems that at the, at the sort of kernel of, of, of the difference, which is this, you know, trying to to, to share this knowledge um, ac across um, across all settings is really kind of typified by by your journeys uh, in a way. So I can see I can really see the, the the fit and the alignment of your own values and experience to the to the organisation, which is which is great. And um, we we did do a previous episode where we, we talked a little bit about about the difference and and what it it does. Um, but anyone who's who's missed that and and wants a kind of quick overview about about what you're doing as an organisation, can you can you tell us um, broadly what what the difference does? Yeah, and um, of course. Um, so I suppose for me the difference started um, as I was still at Thomas Teller School, and and um, particularly Kieran um, Gill, our CEO, was finishing writing a report with the IPPR. Um, Institute for Public Policy Research called Making a Difference came out in 2017, October 2017. If you haven't read it, it's a great read. Um, and it was a report that highlighted in particular um, the disproportionality um, of exclusion um, on the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children. And having helped Kieran with that, um, we both felt that um, the report wasn't the end um, for um, our work. And so we set up the difference essentially to take what we had found in the report and, and, and respond to it and to develop a response to it. And our response comes across three broad strands. So 
and we have three strands people practice and policy um, that I guess characterize our work and um, in our people strand we are running um, programs for leaders in mainstream schools like the inclusive leadership course that Mohammed heads up but also in alternative provision and um, schools too that are designed to develop and uh, and share expertise um, with those leaders. Our practice strand, um, essentially through those programmes, we get an opportunity from across the whole country to really start understanding and sharing practice and systems in APs and in mainstream that are improving outcomes for um, all students, but particularly um, the most vulnerable. And then in our, in, through our sort of policy strand, we are looking to influence um, and shape the understanding of, I guess, key education stakeholders um, to actually impact on outcomes um, much more widely um, than, than um, sort of much more, yeah, further beyond the, the, the limits of the programmes and, and leaders who are able to be part of our programmes. Great stuff, and 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 I think you know we we focused in the in the previous episode really on um those those people do, doing the the program that that put them in um alternative provision um for two years and then back into uh mainstream. But today we're we're talking about the in inclusive leadership course, um and um you know given given the variety of of, of activities um you're doing out there, but these. These courses, um, particularly in, in terms of, of CPD, professional development, um, people really thinking about furthering their career in, in, in leadership, um, they are something that's quite, quite different. So can you tell us a, a bit more about, about why, why what you do is so different from other CPD out there? Yeah, I, I'm happy to jump in here and, um, uh, and talk about I guess it's probably helpful to give you an outline of what what the course looks like, mm. uh, and and perhaps why why we we believe it to be quite different to to our, the, the other CPD offer that's out there. So, uh, the inclusive leadership course runs across a, a whole academic year, and you have kind of six full days of uh, high quality sessions that are delivered uh, once every um, half term, and we 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 deliver kind of six relational practices and um, rela relational practices that will be familiar to, to schools uh, and for example restorative practice and others that might be kind of unfamiliar to schools uh, such as kind of asset-based practice um, as kind of practices that can be uh, developed for staff um, so that they're able to kind of develop stronger relationships and interactions with students uh, and, and improve outcomes. And we do this uh, across the year. Um, we kind of structure the kind of work-based assignments and work-based assignments that are uh, quite practical for, for senior leaders to take uh, and, and, and use in their schools. And, and often our senior leaders have used it as either a CPD tool um, or, or a tool to kind of evaluate uh, and develop kind of their, their existing inclusion offer in their, in their school. Also equally, and I think a very strong uh, element of the course is uh, an opportunity for senior leaders to be around like-minded peers. Um, and currently we are a course that um, are, are running and being delivered in London, Manchester um, and York, for schools in the, in the surrounding areas. Um, and what we have is kind of cohorts of, of senior leaders who are engaging with one another sharing great practice, uh, supporting one another, 
as well through uh, some challenges that they may be facing in their own schools. Um, but not only in their cohort, there's kind of an inter-cohort um, 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 kind of network that has developed. So, for example, we've had uh, senior leaders from our Manchester cohort link up with our London cohort to develop behaviour policies that are much more trauma-informed. Um, I think the difference between this course and perhaps other courses is that we are specifically focused on uh, inclusive leadership um, um, and uh, what leaders uh, and the kind of remit and, and, and uh, kind of influence that senior leaders have around shaping inclusive change in their schools um, and recognizing that um, inclusion isn't kind of a siloed uh, or kind of expert area of practice um, or, 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 or I guess a department in in their school, but interlinked with various other areas of the school as well, such as safeguarding, uh, learning as well, um, as well as well-being, and, and helping senior leaders to begin to kind of map that and make those make those connections. There's another kind of key element to the course, which I guess differs from other courses, and, and I'll use kind of one relational practice as an example, uh, and trauma-informed practice is one that um, schools are definitely kind of much more familiar with, and there is a, uh, there's definitely a, a, a real increase in schools wanting to be kind of much more trauma-informed, is that and often what we've experienced, and, and Sean and I personally um, in, in our career as well, is that training for trauma-informed practice is often quite scientific um, and, um, and delivered by uh, staff who are either not teachers or senior leaders in schools, but are kind of specialists in kind of trauma, uh, trauma uh, as, a, uh, as an area. Now, what we have done is kind of developed training that is kind of much more applicable uh, and, and, and practi uh, practical for senior leaders. Um, something that they can take that feels really applicable to their school and to staff in their school. Um, and that's one done by the training that we deliver, but also using case studies from schools who have been able to kind of develop uh, systems and practice in their school that seem uh, kind of much more applicable um, than perhaps other, other CPD offers um i think the only thing that i would add um on top of it um is that and we're really um clear that um we're not offering a um a, a piece of pick up and go one size fits all training where there's just the thing that you take away and you're just going to do this and then that's going to magically kind of be the intervention that solves the problems um, what we are doing is providing leaders with, with foundations and with tools to better understand the context of their schools um, and to develop practice and system that, systems that are um, really relevant to their students and their staff. And, and in that sense, I suppose, there are it, the two parts of it are around that um, content and understanding around inclusion, there is... Um, there's, there's a really broad church that we welcome in. So it's not for a particular type of school. Um, and, and it's also, um, it, it, we're, we're offering, I suppose, that, that sort of um, lead, it's a leadership kind of journey. You know, there is as much about understanding and thinking about your role as a leader and what will that, what does that look like as being an inclusive leader as there is about developing the kind of expertise um, uh, content practice um, for yourself. Something else as well, which, you know, when we're talking about a broad church, we're also talking about kind of seniority of roles as well. You know, we have assistant head teachers to kind of executive head teachers on the course 
we're really interested in not only kind of developing whole school and whole school inclusive offer across a school, but executive head teachers are interested in developing that across a, a number of schools um, as, as well. And so kind of seniority of role um, kind of differs uh, in, in, in the cohorts as well. Um, but, but a kind of real desire from, from all that are on the course wanting to kind of shape what inclusion looks like uh, across uh, either one school or number of schools. And I think that um, is, is a really kind of valuable piece of work that's happening in, in schools uh, across the country. I really appreciate you taking the time to um, explain that so clearly, because I think there's 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 lots of, of interesting points to to draw out, particularly saying, you know, this isn't about you then being back in school and being the, you know, the office where, ch where, where children who are having problems get sent. You know, you're, it's not about you kind of dealing, um, as you say, in that kind of scientific depth or individual cases. It is about how do you create a more inclusive system so that, you know, the right people are doing that work. And it isn't it isn't all just about you waving the flag for in inclusion. And as you say, having that that understanding that this is not about um a, de a department or a, a you know one team of people in the school it's it's about everything and I think it's also it's also really interesting you know so people people on their their leadership journey or kind of thinking about you know some of the models of leadership and and things like that it can be quite easy to get yourself into ways of thinking of like you know these these are my these are my rules these are my go you know I'll take it back to to nursery where my daughter is these are my golden rules everybody's got to do this and if you don't do this I can't you know you're not you're not in the team and actually saying look if you've got if you've got these diverse needs and and, and communities within your school they're all within your school actually and how do you include them um, I think I think that's really it's a really fascinating distinction and obviously a very interesting time for people kind of shaping shaping their values and a, approaches as as a leader to think to think more inclusively. Um, and it, it, we, we, we know that there that there are challenges around um, being truly inclusive. So I'm interested to hear your take on what you think the, the barriers are. That, that stop schools from adopting in inclusive practice? Um, I, I think that uh, there are kind of two really sort of broad, uh, broad barriers. Um, and I, if it's all right, I'll kind of talk a little bit to, to both of them. So uh, I think both of them are underpinned by um, some really kind of, I guess, um, understandable drivers that schools and school leaders um, face to um, achieve the best the best outcomes and particularly best academic outcomes for the most children. The way that schools are judged, that kind of aggregating academic success around best outcomes for the most children, I think has two kind of unfortunate um, side impacts. Um, one of them is around um, the disproportional exclusion of the most vulnerable and disadvantaged um, children. And the other is um, a kind of envisaging or conception of inclusion as, as a, actually a very kind of like narrow and segmented thing within your school. And it, essentially in terms of um, exclusion, um, if we, you know, when we talk about exclusion, we're often thinking about um, the 
and um, the data that we have, I guess, the most, um, the, the widest, deepest data for is, is kind of permanent exclusions. There are 8,000 of them roughly every year. But actually, it's much more helpful, I think, to think of a whole continuum of exclusion that runs from permanent exclusion through managed moves, um, fixed term exclusion suspensions, um, internal exclusions, detentions, um, standing outside of a room or missing your break and lunch. All, all of those are types of um, exclusion. And I think we can be, um, the, all of them are kind of, you know, in their different ways, often legitimate ways to respond to challenging behaviour and to kind of build a kind of sanction system. But we can be pretty confident that um, the most vulnerable and disadvantaged students are overrepresented in every single one of um, those layers. And I guess the reason why I'm really interested in that, I guess, as a sort of product of um, the, the that, you know, as, or as a sort of barrier to, to developing inclusive practice is actually we often focus a lot on the top end of that continuum and give a huge amount of attention to permanent exclusions or fixed term exclusions, partly because that's what we that, that, those are the externally visible data but actually the most interesting kind of work and kind of shift in thinking is actually when you become really really interested in the exclusion at the at the other end because um it's much more pervasive it involves all staff in the school and it's where actually the most early indicators um of challenge and vulnerability are coming forward. Um, exclusion is actually a really, really um, great window on vulnerability and disadvantage. And the, and, the, and the further down the continuum we kind of become interested, the earlier we actually start looking through that window and, and responding to it. And presumably, um, you know, the, the place where more people can have a more positive impact and prevent that young person going further down the route towards permanent um, exclusion, whereas, as you say, at the other end, um, you know, there are, there's, there's, there's obviously more more kind of complex issues issues going on. Yeah, um, and I think there's, and, and, and I guess part of that sort of barrier is thinking about um, those exclusions, almost at any level, but particularly kind of lower down, basically as a kind of end in and of themselves, that like, that's it, it was a thing and it was done, as mm. opposed to um, it being a really, really interesting, enriching part of um, understanding where something has come from and opportunities to, to engage um, and, and respond to, to what might sit behind it. And, 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 and then I guess... Sorry, I was just going to ask there, and, you know, presumably, and this is, this is probably stating the very obvious, that, you know, a lot of those sanctions or activities are done from a spirit of, you know, the vast majority of children... You would want to be working uninterrupted or, you know, in, in order to make that classroom environment, you know, more tranquil, like that child is standing outside and 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 and, and that's the sort of spirit where, where some of that activity comes from, would you say? Um yes, I, so in terms of the kind of driver, yeah, as we mm. as we, when we're focused on that kind of like getting the best for the most, yeah. um, if you're on the periphery, then then actually. Um, you're you're a less important. You're just naturally a less important part of that thing. And actually, um, it's very easy to understand how 
um, you can be perceived um, in much more in terms of kind of being burdensome and kind of taking the resource that's kind of finite from that that work and that experience in a classroom or across the school and that that you know in in, in that mindset for for those for, for those students to become um disproportionately excluded is is understandable it doesn't necessarily make it okay but um it's useful i think for us to be a, a kind of honest in some ways about where those drivers come from because actually um if we're going to redress them then will redress them by seeing where they come from and what's driving them rather than um uh, like essentially often kind of like maybe um externalizing that it is basically something that's a within child kind of like problem that is basically you know it's got nothing to do with our kind of wider system of the school and how we work it's just that this person doesn't fit and, and as you say like de denying that, that that's the underlying cause of them you're not going to be able to solve the problem. Yeah, do you have to kind of confront it? Um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that that's true. And then I guess in relation to the sort of second um, sort of I guess barrier to um, improving in inclusion, um, I think that there is this really really narrow conception of inclusion when we it, you know if you introduce it, and often when we introduce when Mohammed and I introduce it on the inclusive leadership course is that it's based around a minority of students who've got significant and known SEND needs. And that model has got some pluses. You know, it, it has definitely helped to promote successful outcomes for some students, particularly students who've got really complex um, learning and disability needs. However, when inclusion is is just identified with students who've got significant needs, it sends a message essentially um, to most children that normal um, equals no needs. And I think that that makes it much harder for children to acknowledge for themselves when, they, when, when things are challenging and they need to ask for help. But it also makes it much harder for staff to recognize when these kind of air quotes normal students have got emerging needs because that's not the kind of lens that they are seeing through and that's really relevant in relation to that exclusions continuum and you're thinking about um what you're looking what you're seeing and, and what you're experiencing in those kind of early um opportunities around kind of like standing outside of a room or, or students in detention and I, what we do on the course, we talk about this, in, you know, later when we think about the kind of like uh, with some of the, the underpinning principles is we um, reframe our understanding of inclusion to basically recognize that all children have got learning, well-being and safeguarding needs and, and, and that that foundation building on that foundation is what allows us to see something as genuinely whole school inclusion and also to engage all staff and all students in um what is essentially a kind of natural human kind of vulnerability you know and and, and wanting to step into that rather than to kind of um push it in some ways physically or otherwise to the periphery of the school okay yeah, I think so that, you want to add in that, Mohammed? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, it, it feeds into, um, you know, what, what we cover on the course, which is that kind of every interaction with every student um, kind of matters, um, um, but also, also should be kind of developed. And, you know, when you, when you 
when you take that principle and you take that as a driving principle, um, you also uh, uh, have to, I guess, understand and, and, and believe that we, we, we cannot presume to know every child that has a learning well-being or safeguarding need um, uh, and you know we we present um, data from the Dartington research that, that shows that that to be the case as well um, um, but also experiences of staff will also tell you that you know when needs emerge at, at a later stage um, um, it becomes apparent that you know the, the root of uh, behaviors that were presented um, or challenges that were presented and so kind of the we we, we, we covered the idea and we, we explored the idea of kind of biases towards certain, certain students based on our interactions, you know, that, you know, students who are, uh, who don't have a recognized learning need or identified learning need, um, um, but present with challenging behaviors, um, can often be treated very differently to those who have an identified need. And in fact, if we assume that, um, you know, any child that we come into contact with can have a learning well-being or safeguarding need that our interactions are universal, that, you know, the interactions that we develop that are kind of much more uh, restorative, that can kind of initiate or sustain relationships with students um, are, 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 are not just for students who have kind of a recognized SEN need or a safeguarding need, but for all students that we, we come into contact with. And, and that requires the development of practice of all staff and for staff also to have a safe space to be able to kind of uh, practice the, the, the practice. And so for them to be able to uh, feel safe enough um, and not judged by their, their lack of expertise and interaction, that might be kind of much more restorative or compassionate. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can see that that is just very much about the the culture of, of interactions within a school. So being that that much wider leadership piece and you know it, it, it can be quite a burden sometimes having that information or knowledge about children and as you say it's not equitable because in some cases it, it won't be it won't be known and, and who and how do you start to judge you know circumstances against other circumstances is very confusing so actually having a blanket approach um where everybody is given the the the, the same opportunities it's just a lot more equitable i would i would have said as you can hear, and, I'm and thinking think, it through in my own head. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important to say that what we're not advocating for is the kind of removal of processes that have kind mm. of consequences. Um, um, so we're not we're not kind of arguing for kind of abolishing detentions or um, um, other sanctions. Um, we, we, we still believe there are kind of legitimate responses to um, um, behaviours that are presented into schools. But kind of going back to what Sean was saying earlier on, that what they, what those... Um, Kind of systems and processes and the interactions that that, that happen um, uh, between members of staff and students um, where behaviors have been presented also give us a window of opportunity to ask questions and be curious about where those behaviors um, um, are uh, and what they're rooted in and uh, and whether we know enough about the context of a young person but there is something about um, kind of the the interactions and the the experiences for both staff and student uh, that are kind of much more relational um, and, and kind of much more compassionate that are perhaps kind of much more uh, preventative than uh, responding to escalating behaviors uh, at a later stage. Um, 
And so there are opportunities to be curious as a member of staff through those interactions um, to, to, to get a broader understanding of the context of a young person in a way that perhaps you won't if you're following a system that, that requires only outputs, um, um, especially in systems that uh, follow steps towards sanctions as well. Yeah, and as you say, really looking at, okay, what is going to, what is going to stop this particular thing happening again? Um, you know, at, at the heart of it um, there. And perhaps we could move on a little bit to sort of dig into the, the theory that, that, that underpins um, the course and, and the, the approach. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, hopefully this will pick up on some of the things that we've introduced as we've been going on. But I think um, the, the Inclusive Leadership course has three um, kind of core principles that, under, that underpin it. Um, the first is that um, all children um, have learning, well-being and safeguarding needs and every member of staff has got a role to, 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 a role to play recognising and responding there. And we, we think about that as essentially building an inclusion framework for a school from a universal foundation which, in which we're thinking about the, the, the needs of all students and the role that all staff play. And then building up from that, um, where we might have, we would think about maybe a, a kind of tier two and a tier three layer that sit on top of it, in which actually where needs are known, and um, there may well be a more kind of targeted kind of intervention or support that um, those students have. But still there is actually a role for all staff to play with those students but what we're not doing is starting from the outside and thinking and seeing inclusion as being this kind of thing on the outside and hoping it permeates sort of towards the rest of the school but we're actually um, starting from the, the premise and actually making the biggest focus what is it that we do and how do we um, recognize and respond to the needs of all our students um, second principle is that, um, and Mohammed's definitely been um, kind of framing this really helpfully, is that um, relationships are integral to learning. Um, essentially, you know, we, we can't um, recall, we can't process, sequence, create new understanding unless we feel safe. Um, and when we feel unsafe, when we when we feel anxious or distressed or angry, um, then we then we become dysregulated. When we feel unsafe, we become dysregulated, and we and our behaviour is challenging. And that's not just about a, a group of students in school. That's everyone. That's me. That's you. Everybody. That is true for. And what we want to support our staff to do is to be able to develop. Um, the skills to initiate and grow and particularly to repair relationships that all students need to feel safe and ready to learn. So those relational practices that we are um, in part helping the leaders on a course to become more expert and understanding of in themselves are practices that, that are central to all sorts of different interactions. But but at the, the heart, the kind of big picture is that where we, are, where we get really good at our practice in, of interactions, particularly um, repair, particularly about helping recognising assets or um, responding, with, responding um, in, in a challenging kind of time, then, 
then then we create feelings of safety and those are the crucial feelings that that actually are are integral to, to successful learning not just of children who maybe are most vulnerable and disadvantaged but actually every single student um, in that room um, and then the third principle is that um, essentially school um, school leaders are are themselves key to developing a um, whole school inclusion the expertise um, that we have already in lots of leadership teams around teaching and learning and um, needs to be expertise which is also in those senior leadership teams around um, whole school inclusion particularly um, to, to think of how how we can develop that so it's so it's built into that school and and owned and understood by that school and it doesn't feel kind of bolted on um, with experts that are kind of offering their inclusion expertise who don't actually have, I guess, a lived experience of that school community. Um, and we particularly um, think about how we can help our leaders on the course to do that whole school inclusion leadership by thinking really deeply about the difference between practice um, and systems and to understand how practice is something that is live and happens in our interactions and systems are the steps that we build um, to organize and, and structure our, our, our school day and our kind of routines and, and the practice sits between the steps um, and only by thinking about both of them really really carefully and making sure that the systems actually promote and support practice that you really want to happen. And also that you really give time. Mohammed already touched on this again, about like developing and gaining confidence in practice um, actually requires um, lots of support, scaffolding, scripting, and um, training time, and actually recognizing what that could look like and should look like and giving time to developing it um, alongside those systems is crucial if you want to actually see um, interactions change and then in, through interactions changing actually the outputs and outcomes from those interactions will also change. And say that it is really interesting because I think when you are looking at say different aspects of school life that maybe assistant heads have responsibility for and you know this being a step on their leadership journey and this kind of thing you know often you think about things like assessment and you go great you know we'll just say which week are we all doing assessments which system are we all using how's it how's it all fitting together you know people you know children do the assessment da 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 um, and it does seem something that's easier to sort of regularize and I guess you know part of this sort of tension um, with thinking about sort of behavior and exclusion is you know you have it's the perception is you have these more individual cases you um, you know have these you know complex um, multiple needs or multi-agency working around children and this sort of thing and they almost fall outside of some of those bigger systems but what you're saying is the crucial thing is is how do you make systems that that do work for genuinely everybody but, but just to pick up one thing from what you're saying um caroline that um i think um you were sort of touching on it it's a really and it's a really key bit of i guess um the learning around that practice and systems framework that um and it's certainly true in relation to behavior, behavior kind of management, but I think it is potentially, you know, we could see parallels 
in lots of other school kind of policies that the policy um, largely articulates a system um, and it's kind of practice free um, and what staff become comfortable with is, is essentially articulating the system. So articulating the system becomes a kind of proxy for having practice as opposed to really thinking about what is the practice that sits between the steps in the system that supports the delivery of that system and in particular and this is when we're thinking about exclusion what's the practice between the steps in that system that will um, reduce the likelihood of escalating to the next step um, and or um, support me to move things actually towards a much more kind of regulated um, moment and, and so that we can kind of move on from this time. If I don't have the practice that sits between those steps and my practice is articulating the system, it's really easy to see how we move through the steps of the system really quickly because when this thing starts happening, the next thing I do is I articulate what's going to happen next and I haven't actually really engaged in any interaction. I've just said what's going to happen next and inevitably actually often that's what happens next and the sustainability there is an issue as well i think because it's sort of we've done a consistent behavior policy this is the behavior policy as you say you know at your disposal is step one if that doesn't work step two step three that's you know simplifying simplifying it um and if it and if then things get challenging you know here's a radio somebody more senior with more experience and, and specific practice in this area may swoop in and take over. And actually, you know, you're arguing for something that is much more integrated um, in, in terms of those, 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 those um, the, 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 the tools that, that everyone in the school has at their disposal, which is Particularly really if we're saying that relationships are integral to learning and actually the reality of humans, all humans, is that we bring challenge to relationships. That's, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a, a kind of, a given within our um, relationships as, as between adults, as much as it is between adults and children. And so if we don't have the skills to kind of be in moments of challenge and we don't, we, we don't, we aren't able to, to interact then, and what, and what we do is we have a kind of system that removes that, then we're unlikely to create those feelings of safety in that space um, for all students that actually are really productive for learning. I wanted to to yeah just go back to what you were saying, Caroline. Um, that there was an illustration that you gave, uh, which was um, definitely kind of articulating the system, um, kind of going through the stages with a student and saying kind of if uh, this behaviour doesn't improve, as an example, um, you move to this stage, which then moves on to that stage, and 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 almost becomes a kind of uh, uh, a behaviour management. Uh, a strategy um, uh, or becomes the practice that, that that Sean just described and I think I you know we're, we're confident in saying that often you can see that kind of practice that kind of articulation of systems as practice um, um, mostly deployed by staff who are either inexperienced or staff who are definitely not confident in the area of uh, kind of uh, developing the practice for kind of much more positive interactions with uh, students who are experiencing kind of vulnerability or, or challenge. And we know that there are staff who are kind of much more kind of principled in that practice who uh, where it comes kind of much more naturally to them and others who don't. And uh, we can use kind of examples as kind of heads of year, for example, who um, um, have kind of often quite uh, 
uh, uh, natural relationships that they kind of build with students and, and families. Um, and, you know, I, I, would, I would argue that this is about kind of a lack of confidence and lack of practice in, in, in that area. And, th and then I think it's kind of then important for senior leaders, especially the senior leaders that we have on our course, to really think about what do staff need, especially those who kind of lack that of confidence, to be able to develop that practice and kind of moving um, um, to a point where they feel kind of much more confident and it is kind of much more organic. And we, you know, we would suggest that, you know, we're thinking about kind of much more scaffolded practice, um, uh, practice where uh, 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 staff who, who lack that confidence are able to uh, use as, as a process to be able to kind of develop the language they need um, uh, and really think about what that, that interaction could look like uh, and should look like. Um, and, you know, we, we often kind of think about, um, you know, when when things go wrong or when when a, a situation escalates with, with a student that, you know, we need kind of the additional resource, that kind of bolt-on uh, uh, resource and kind of inclusion expertise that Sean uh, referenced earlier as, as the kind of remedy to uh, some of the challenges that we face as a school um, because it suddenly becomes something that's out of the realm of, um, um, of, of teaching staff and other members of staff. And in fact, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest that we perhaps begin to think about relationships as a resource um, um, and that being a key resource that we, we kind of initiate and develop in school uh, first on a universal level before we begin to rely and lean really heavily on kind of the external uh, resources or resources that come at uh, quite a significant cost to support the, the kind of inclusion offer that we have in our school relationships as a resource I, I love that I love that way of thinking um, and just just moving on to talk a little bit about um, you know we, we we're all familiar with the model of you know you go on some great CPD and as you said a cohort of, of individuals who kind of um, sharing sharing experiences all, all great but you know can sometimes be challenging to bring those ideas back into school and I know you're you're training people very much to, to think in that way could you maybe tell us a little bit about um, some of the impact that participants have had on on going back back to their schools with these ideas yeah of course yeah so we you know we we, we are clear that we what we don't want to offer is just a you know a six-day cpd um, um offer across the year um and kind of do as you please uh, with it uh, we are really interested in the implementation of that work and, and the, the impact of that work. Um, and we we work alongside the senior leaders across the year to capture that learning from the sessions, um, how they've implemented that learning in their schools um, and uh, what impact they're beginning to, to see in their schools. So we are, um, you know, we we know the kind of the course that we've been on in the past or the CBD we've been on in the past where we were asked at the end of the day, um, you know, did we did we meet your dietary requirements? How satisfied were you with the um, layout of the room and the delivery of the session? Um, we are much more interested in, and we'll ask our, uh, our our senior leaders on the course what they have learned from the the previous session, um, how they have implemented that learning in their school, uh, and what impact have they 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 already seen? Um, and we dig into into that 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 capture of of those reflections before discussing more widely. With, with with the group and getting them to share that with one another as well and so we're, we're really interested in that piece of work that happens between sessions not only what happens on the day um 
and and any 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 stories that that that, that come to mind that you might want to share well, with the audience yeah, yeah absolutely um you know that for example we have someone who is in our 2019 course um who um is a uh, correct me if i'm wrong sean a deputy head at, at the school um and um he he took uh, the trauma-informed practice as something that was definitely kind of uh, stuck with him after uh, after the year, um, and and developed a behaviour policy uh, that was really trauma-informed, and that that also meant kind of delivering CPD whole school and working with the pastoral team to really kind of implement that learning and that kind of practice across the school. And um, the year prior to the course, it was 215 days of fixed term exclusion. Um, in the year of the course where he begun to kind of implement that learning, um, he, he um, um, saw 43 fixed term days um, of exclusion. Um, the following year, the year after, um, uh, and, and this you know, following year was also kind of supported by a, a coaching offer that we, we offer uh, for our uh, senior leaders that have been on the course in the, the year following. Um, it dropped to 11 days across uh, that year um, and has um, said uh, quite quite openly that you know he has uh, felt that it was the impact of the course and the learning from the course that had such a significant impact on the outcomes that they they had in their school. I think it's also like, important to say that where we're seeing the most significant impacts from our senior leaders on the course is when they are supported by their head teachers and the head teachers take a real interest in the course, um, where we've had the head teachers take a real interest in the course and really interested in the learning, we've seen quite significant impact uh, in in those schools. Um, and you know, if we're kind of thinking about last year, um, because we can kind of uh, we can take kind of the whole year and the impact. You know, we eighty percent of our senior leaders on the course. Uh, had reported that they'd seen a reduction in exclusions in their school. 82% um, of those leaders uh, said they'd seen an improvement in de-escalating incidents. And 100% of those senior leaders went on to deliver CPD to, to staff, um, with a number of those senior leaders being asked to deliver the uh, CPD based on the learning from the course across their multi-academy trusts as well. Fantastic. I mean, there's some in, in, incredible statistics, and, and and really speaks to to the way that you're doing something that's very that's very practical, but equally people can tailor it to their to their context. Um, but also the importance of having that kind of buy-in um, from the school's perspective, and particularly um, the head teacher um, as 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 part of what is going to make the work the work more um, more impactful. Um, but that, but that's fantastic. Um, and obviously, we've um, we've been through some some quite unusual times um, with the with the pandemic. And I'm I'm interested in in your set take on what difference being in and out of school um, and remote learning has has made to some of the pastoral aspects of school leadership. Well, I mean, you know, when we we. When we kind of refer back to the data that I've I've um, kind of just described, where we're talking about data from a year um, that that has struggled with kind of the pandemic and uh, lockdowns um, and 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 also kind of challenges around the return of students uh, and behaviours and kind of safeguarding risks and concerns that they have seen kind of emerge um, um, in a way that perhaps they've described. Uh, wasn't wasn't um, as as profound as it was prior to the pandemic, and you know there 
there have been there have been significant changes in the way that senior leaders um, have uh, thought about uh, inclusion in their schools. Um, I I would I would argue uh, though that many of our senior leaders on the course, especially, have uh, seen it as an opportunity to be able to rethink what inclusion looks like in their schools. I think you know, and, and I'm uh, quoting someone from um, our cohort this year that when we see kind of a shrinking of resources in schools, it becomes even more um, uh, um, uh, kind of, yeah, important to uh, develop whole school inclusion and develop the practice of all staff um, uh, in, in, in the view of that. And that is what we've, we've seen from, from schools on the course who are definitely leaning towards um, building the practice of all staff to be able to support kind of the wider uh, kind of challenges of uh, student engagement and, and, and also kind of family engagement. Um, and, and it's also been an opportunity, especially during uh, kind of parts of lockdown to kind of reflect and begin to really evaluate and plan what inclusion can look like when students return to schools, um, how they can improve uh, the relationships with, with families and, and students to ensure that students are attending when we, we know that uh, attendance has become a significant issue and nationally as well um, yeah. and that is kind of often difficult to do during the school day um, um, when um, it can feel like you're often kind of firefighting or responding to challenges in the day but what both kind of the lockdown has done is given people time to reflect on that and what that should look like whole school um, and especially for those who've been on the course uh, using those days to do that as well um, but yeah I, I've seen it I've I guess um heard from senior leaders that it's been much more of an opportunity than anything else to to really rethink and evaluate what that looks like in the school and and in some ways i wonder if those periods of remote remote learning um almost in, increase people's appetite for those relationships because it is difficult to maintain them in a in a remote kind of digital setting and actually there's more of a hunger for you know, have it, having that proper kind of relationship and, and understanding from both from both sides, um, and and pupils with their peers, I guess as well. Um, so yeah, an interesting one to think about. Sean, is there anything um, that that you've kind of reflected on about about how this this period might have ch changed things? Yeah, I think um, three three things that um, uh, that I that, that yeah that occurred to me. The the first, um, although I see it waning potentially I definitely felt there was a period of time where there was quite a robust challenge to the kind of best outcomes for the most children kind of framing of like this is what the value of school is and when it became so much more difficult to to deliver some of that kind of academic kind of outcomes when um the league table kind of results were, were were given less kind of I guess significance because of how exams had been um, delivered that actually there was thinking there was definitely opportunity which I, I hope still remains to, to think about think more widely about what you know how uh, what are the what are the things that we value about the experience of children in school beyond um, kind of an aggregated uh, summary of uh, progress and achievement that, that 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 we kind of give primacy to, and um, I think it's also given us 
a much greater ability to see how all children can have needs. You know, we, we, the, 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 the impact of being away from school was, was universal and it had lots and lots of different um, challenges, lots of pluses as well, but actually, you know, it, it was not something, it, I think, it, it, yeah, it really helped to kind of shine a, a light on, on yeah, the whole school community and their experience rather than uh, necessarily seeing um, it in quite such a segmented um, way. And the other and the final thing I think is it helped it's helped I hope for, helped us recognize the impact of challenge on staff um, the experience of being of, of, of going through lockdown everybody's personal journey and story across the last two years as well as all of the challenges that schools have risen to meet um, during the kind of return to school and being um, in schools I think having the time and starting to have the experience and opportunity to engage with our vulnerability as adults um, and in particular to see value in the in value in practice which is not just about something that I do to other people it's not just what I do for this student or to, for this thing but actually to start to explore and understand the value that that brings to ourselves you know when we're thinking about trauma-informed practice when we're thinking about um kind of restorative practice you know our own experience of that what it actually brings to us is actually of far more value ultimately particularly as leaders but actually as all staff than it than it often is in the moment for a particular um interaction it, it's a very much a two-way thing and sometimes we can be drawn into thinking of it as just something that we learn that we do in just one um, direction really interesting and um we'll put up um you know details for where places where people can go to learn more about the difference itself and the inclusive leadership course but is there anything that either of you or both of you would like to say to our listeners before we close um I suppose, yeah, I mean, thanks very much, Caroline, for the opportunity. It is, um, you know, we're really proud of the course and it is great to have an opportunity to talk about um, where it came from, how it works, what underpins it and the sorts of impacts that um, we are seeing from now hundreds of leaders who have um, undertaken it. And Mohammed touched on this earlier. We, we really, really value the power of a growing community um, who are really interested in looking at and thinking about whole school inclusion and responding to and improving outcomes for all students. And so, you know, oh, there is actually what just one more thing, um, Caroline, um, we're really, really excited for September 2022 that we're going to be offering a middle leaders um, course to complement the senior leader inclusive leadership course. So um, listeners who are not senior leaders, but who are middle leaders, um, go to the website and find out about that course. And um, it's a course in which we hope the senior leader and the middle leader will both be working together um, across the whole year. So the opportunity will be for a senior leader in the mainstream school and a group of middle leaders um, to follow a, a similar um, kind of uh, curriculum across um, the course of the year and for them to work together on their assignments each each term to really kind of spread and develop um, the, 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 the practice and the inclusive um, understanding um, across the school.
Fantastic. And we're incredibly grateful to you for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. Thank you.